You're on PeerPod, the podcast where you are the peers and we are your pod. We're coming to you today from our ThinkSpace studio above SciTech Library at the University of Sydney. Before we bring in this week's guests, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're recording on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Let's get into it. Transgender Awareness Week starts on Friday and the 26th of October was Intersex Awareness Day. For those of you who aren't ravenously consuming textbooks and lecture slides, you may be getting introduced to ideas of gender diversity and fluidity. We thought we'd take this opportunity to chat with a couple of university representatives who can shine a light on the importance of personal pronouns. I'm sure we'll also touch on wider issues of acceptance and acknowledgement for all members of the LGBTIQA community. I'm joined today by Sam Farrell from the Library and Daniele Giannotti from the Faculty of Medicine and Health. Both are LGBTQIA support liaison officers, and Daniele is also the deputy co-chair of the Pride Network. So first off, Daniele, why is it important that we get gendered language correct? I think it's important, uh, first of all, it's a matter of respect. Um, you know, gender language and pronouns are what people identify with and what they use when they refer to themselves. So I think using the correct pronoun, using the correct gender language when talking to people, it just shows to them that you see them for who they are, you respect, respect them for the, who they are, and you validate uh, their identity, hmm. their gender expression. Yeah. yeah, as Daniela said, like it's all about respect. It's all about acknowledging. It's all about um, visibility. It's all about making sure that someone feels like they're affirmed in their gender and that you see them for who they are and that you respect that about them. Mm. Um, so it's it's a simple thing to do, really. And it'll make everyone feel a whole lot more comfortable, I imagine. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> because if you're not constantly worrying about being misgendered or feeling like you're unsafe in an environment, you can actually shine and be who you are. You can mm. do your job. You can uh, do your university work. You can yeah. Be way more fun in a social situation. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. then you, yeah, you're not stressed about other things that wouldn't be bothering other people. If I can add something on mm-hmm. what Sam and just said, uh, I think especially in the queer community or in the trans community or gender diverse people, they always they're not seen. Mm. In the, you know, we live in a very binary world. Yeah. Uh, so if you're outside the binary, you like don't exist. Mm. So using the correct pronoun when talking to or with uh, gender diverse or trans people, it's very empowering for them. It's very powerful because what you're telling them is like, I see you, I validate you, you are exist for me and I respect you. Mm. So I think that's very, very important. Uh, even the small thing like a pronoun uh, is not as such a small thing for them mm. because for them it's like affirming who they are and recognize they exist outside the gender binary the patriarchal society and we validate them and we support them. Mm, yeah, extending on what Daniele said, like um, in the queer community it's almost expected that you'll have that level of respect mm. um, depending on what spaces you're in. For example, I'm a part of like a street roller hockey league and we have trans non-binary people that play with us. Mm. Um, so they're, in that space there's no assumption that if you're rocking up you're automatically she, her. 
Um, and there's that space that we actually bring that into our league. For example, we're doing, um, it's called the Ask Comp at the moment. Yep. So it's apocalyptic scavenger season. <laughs> it's like a scavenger hunt, but yeah, it's the Ask Comp. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the uh, challenges in that was a pronoun round. So um, if people were comfortable, they could say their pronouns and get points at the beginning of each round. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just one little thing that we did to normalise it further in the league and Mm. you know everyone is aware of pronouns in the league because it's a really queer space um but then you come to a place like uh work um and you might be working with predominantly um straight cisgendered people so that's people that identify with um the gender that they were assigned at birth so they just might have never even met a trans or non-binary people person. They just might not even have the language or the ability to have those conversations or to actually understand why it's important because they're not in those circles where we're having these conversations about why it's important. Um, so I think that's another part of it. Like where are these conversations in um, cisgendered spaces? And mm. they're not going to know it by themselves. Yeah. And I guess by identifying your own personal pronouns Mm. as a cisgendered person, you are bringing that conversation to include a larger area where it potentially isn't happening and people can feel more comfortable to present their own pronouns if... Yes, sure, yeah. I mean, if a cis person, uh, when they talk about themselves or when they introduce themselves, they also tell you their pronoun... Mm. It's kind of open the doors, like... The conversation is you, happening. If you want to, you can do as well. This is a safe space. We understand pronouns. Mm. You, you feel free to share. But at the same time, it also gives this level of respect, like, you don't have to, you know. You can if you want. Mm. And you know, you, in this space, you can, but you don't have to. Mm. So I think it's a good way to, even for a uh, cis person, yeah. use their pronouns. Even if it's like, it's assumed that, you know, they, they look like the the gender match the sex that was assigned at birth, but also highlight their pronouns as kind of like highlight the issue and make sure everyone is aware that in that space they mm. can talk about that or they can be more comfortable sharing their pronouns. Mm. Yeah, well. it's, it's sort of like an invitation. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because in my own experience um, with work and working um, to educate people on pronouns and what it means... Um, some of the conversations I've had is like, well, you know, if I'm a girl and I'm like, yeah, my pronouns are she, her, isn't that rubbing it in the face of other people that, you know, might be trans? Mm. And I was like, well, no, because that's missing the point. Like the point is to create a space where we can share our identity. So the heavy lifting isn't on trans and non-binary people to do all the to work. To do all, so. yeah, everything. Um, because, you know, if you've got a trans or non-binary person that might use they, them pronouns, for example, um, and they want that to be used in a workspace or to be used in a social setting, et cetera, mm. um, they have to be the ones being like, this is my pronoun. And if they're coming up against people that have never had these conversations before, they have to do all the educating and they have to do all the work. So in my own experience, being a cis person and expressing myself in that way, I can be taking on some of that baggage so it's not up to trans and gender diverse people to do all of the work themselves. Yeah. So we've established that it's empowering and supportive to use personal pronouns. In the current environment we're in, where everything's very online, I've noticed that it's pretty easy to put 
the com- oh, the pronoun conversation front and center. Like I've noticed that a lot of people next to their names in their Zoom window, they'll have their pronouns or on emails, which I guess is everyday life, but um, maybe more so in COVID times, you can also add your pronouns. Once we're back in face-to-face land, how else can we support positive pronoun use? Well, like I was saying before with my ask comp reference. Mm, well, yeah, good example. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it, it does depend on the spaces you're in. Mm. So, for example, um, if I'm now at work that I've um, brought up these conversations around pronouns and um, around the importance of them, if I was to do a meeting with a group of people that I wasn't familiar with in the library, because the library is pretty big and we've got a lot of different um, sort of cogs mm. are churning. Yeah. Um, but if people weren't familiar with me, I would introduce myself and be like, hi, I'm Sam. My pronouns are she, her. I'm the library's LGBTQA plus liaison officer. So that's what I would lead with. Um, and I would claim that for myself and it would probably open up a conversation if people weren't familiar with that. Mm. I'd probably be talking to them about pronouns, <laughs> um, to be honest, but if they weren't familiar with that, they could be like, what does that mean? Like, why did you say that? Mm. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that and why it's important? Yeah, totally. And, I mean, they could ask you directly or if they're not comfortable with that, at least they're getting exposed to someone doing that and they're potentially going to at least look for answers somewhere. So your approach, Sam, would be to use your own Mm. pronouns, put them forward. Would it be a good idea to go around the room and ask everyone for their pronouns? Uh, Look, there's a lot of talking about this uh, topic at the moment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think at first a lot of people thought it was a good idea because that's kind of like open the floor to, oh, let's know, it's a safe space, Uh, let's share our pronouns. Mm. But then if you, the more we thought about it, it was like, in a way, you actually can put a person in a very difficult position because they might not want to come out to everyone or they're not out as well at work and they don't feel comfortable to share their pronouns or their identity in a room full of strangers. So uh, I think going around the room and ask everyone says their name and their pronouns is kind of like forcing and outing them. Mm. Whereas like Sam says, if you, when you introduce yourself, you say your name and your pronouns and again it's like that gives everyone's freedom to do what you did or just say their name and move on so i think that's a, a better way to introduce the pronoun uh, topic in a, in a meeting another way could be good if wearing a pin with the pronouns They're like acon or other there's a lot of organizations that have these pins that you can order online or you can pick up at the office or uh, some events and just wearing your your pin with your pronouns and, and another way to tell people that you are open to, dis- to discuss this topic or you are okay with discussing your pronoun but at the same time you don't force them to do the same. Mm. Yeah I feel like the whole point of like going around the room and asking pronouns I think it comes from a place of good intent um, but it also comes from you know a place where it sort of sees things as black and white as well in a lot of ways because Um, gender constantly evolves and we're all constantly learning and relearning and unlearning all sorts of things Um, so even though I do identify as a cisgendered woman like I feel comfortable using she her pronouns but I've been going on my own journey with my gender and I've always felt a bit more um, I I would say like a chapstick 
chapstick lesbian is what they would call me in the <laughs> online. That's an exceptional term. On the it? online <laughs> guides, like I'm, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I don't really wear makeup. I've like got short hair at the moment, but you know it grows. Mm. It's no biggie. Um, but you know, I, I kind of present more masculine in a lot of ways, even though I don't feel butch, which is another term that would yep. be in in a guide online. Um, but. So I've all, I've never felt really feminine. I've never really identified strongly with femininity and those parts of um, gender in terms of if you were to go male, female. Um, and that constantly evolves and I'm constantly feeling more comfortable with where I'm sitting, which is, you know, uh, I'm a girl, but, like, you know, sometimes I'm a boy. <laughs> like... <laughs> I like referring to myself as a boy and then using she, her pronouns and watching people twist and turn. That's great. <laughs> just, just getting the knife right in there. <laughs> yeah, I totally relate what Sammy said about identity, gender identity and words that we use to identify ourselves. Uh, speaking of my experience, I, I thought I was a gay man mm. until a few years ago and then I started questioning my identity. Uh, and then actually I realized that I'm gender fluid, so I'm not binary gender fluid. So that means that you know, even if sometimes I'm more male presenting, but I also like incorporate female, uh, or sometimes I'm more feminine, sometimes I'm more masculine. So it depends how I feel that day. You mm. know, sometimes I none of those, sometimes I all of them. So it, 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 it's called gender fluid because you now I can move around the two uh, extreme of male and female. Uh, and then with that also, when I... Finally, I said, oh, I think gender fluid, it's, I like it, and this is who I am. And then I start questioning my sexuality, because not being a cis man anymore, I wasn't feel comfortable calling myself gay, because you know, gender is not as the same as there's so many now, and I mean, we identify so many different ways. So even my sexuality moved from being a gay man, now I identify as a gender fluid polysexual because I'm attracted to many genders that not just men, mm. just male gender. So uh, it, it just is, is not a finished process. It's keep going or it's evolving. It's, I'm still thinking about it and I come back and, and we think about it and mm. then move on. So it, it's fluid, it's organic, it's always evolving. Mm. So as Danielle said, like, it is really flexible. And even though I, I said, like, I would probably look down and people would assume I'm a chapstick lesbian, mm-hmm. um, like, that, like, that language itself is really outdated. And um, there's been a lot of evolution in the queer community. Um, and with my own identity, like, thinking about lesbian as being too, um, too binary. And this has been conversations that have been happening in the bisexual community as well because um, some people say bisexuality is too um, exclusive, like, mm-hmm. oh, you like men or women, but bisexual people go, oh, no, no, it incorporates all gender identities and that's just the identity that I prefer to use for myself. And with me, like, I've started realising that lesbian kind of doesn't sit right with me um, because, like Daniela says, there's so many different genders and different gender identities and gender expressions that I'm attracted to and... Um, it's about kind of sitting with that fluidity and not being afraid of it. Um, Because even in our own community, the queer community, um, we're still sort of subjected to the same things that the straight community is subjected to, which is the patriarchy, Mm -hmm. which is all all the bullshit that goes with that. Um, And within that, we have, you know, sort of um, stereotypes like chapstick lesbian, like butch, like femme, etc., 
um, that sometimes we do sit into and fall into because it's easy and it's comfortable. Um, so when we bring up fluidity and the concept of fluidity, that kind of challenges a lot of those binaries we've created within our own community and for ourselves and breaks down those stereotypes a bit more that we can actually feel comfortable expressing ourselves and, um, you know, being more than something. Mind you, um, sometimes those uh, identities do fit in with people and some people do identify with butch and some people do strongly identify with lesbian, et cetera. Mm. Um, so it just depends. And I think um, being open to that and being aware that people are flexible and diverse and um, can define themselves however they like, I think is important. Mm. And they don't have to fit in a pigeonhole and stay in there yeah. all the time. And yeah, no. it can it can change. Yeah, you can yeah. move around. And, and it's good. Some, I have some friends, because they know that I'm gender fluid, so sometimes they kind of check on me and say, like, oh, what pronouns are you using now? Mm. Well, so, that was going to be one of my next questions. So if I was in a meeting and we did, everyone sort of mentioned their pronouns, everyone was comfortable with that, and I'm not that familiar with a few people in the meetings... And down the track, I'm talking to someone about someone or I'm potentially talking to them. If I wasn't aware of where that person is at, there would be a hesitation on my side to potentially use incorrect pronouns. And I wouldn't like to offend but also not offend by not using the pronoun and stumbling over my language like I'm doing in this question. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what tips do you have for me? Uh, I think the, the best way is always not if your question and your doubt and your, it's coming from a good place anyway because you want to respect the person. You mm. want to make sure you're doing the right thing. Mm. Uh, so the thing that just first things that come to my mind is, mind is if you know the person, ask them like, what pronoun are you using now? Or... If you don't know the person, but you're talking with someone, another person, you can ask them, oh, do you know what so-and-so pronouns you're using now? So it's, and then if you don't know, just do your best. I mean, <laughs> Well, I guess at the end of the day, that person that you're talking to is going to be potentially having way more of those conversations than you're having in your day-to-day -day dealings. So they will be equipped to answer a question, hopefully, or better equipped than you. And just by asking the question, you're initiating the conversation. And as long as you do that respectfully, yeah. that's showing mm. the respect yeah, that we're no, looking no, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a mixture of uh, being equipped but also resilience. Mm. Um, and, like, I've had these conversations in race-related spaces too because, um, you know, I'm a white person and, um, and, you know, that's something we haven't really mentioned in this podcast yet, the intersectionality mm. between gender and race and how it impacts people of colour much differently than it does for white people um, because that's a whole, other, a whole other ball game that I can't speak to. Um, but through these kind of spaces, I've learnt that um, there's different levels of resilience that minority groups um, have to build because they have to have these conversations all the time, like you said. So if you're non-binary and trans, you're expecting to have these conversations more often and so you're put into positions where you have to build that resilience. Otherwise, mm. you're not going to get through it in one piece. Um, so it's constantly being bombarded with it and having to survive it, um, I think, you know, builds a different level of tolerance to having conversations about um, gender and gender identity and being able to be the ones to lead that conversation. 
And I think that's where allyship comes into it because there's so much burden placed upon people of minority groups and trans people and non-binary people to be leading and educating in this space. And they might have a whole other range of things they're trying to deal with at that point. And they might be getting misgendered throughout their day and dealing with microaggressions nonstop. Mm. By the time they get to work, they might have been misgendered three or four times, you know? And so to be a good ally means picking up some of that slack, taking on the work, doing the education and leading these conversations so that other people don't have to do it. Um, and so we can give our trans um, beautiful humans a break from doing all the work themselves. Yeah, a space to shine, feel comfortable. Mm. Um, I suppose the best way to be doing that is through initiating the conversation yourself, like we were talking about with mentoring your own pronouns and that kind of stuff, personal pronoun choice, and say that choice is fluid over time. It would, mm. You would be doing a huge service just to be keeping up to date with that mm. and aware of how they would like you to be an ally, say, informing people whether they'd like you to or not, mm. and just so that you can, like you said, take up some of that slack. Yeah, and like Danny LA has mentioned before, like um, it's about just asking them, yeah. having a conversation yeah. with them about it because, you know, um, with my friends that are trans and um, non-binary, like they, they want people to call. Like they, they would want me to call people out if um, they get it wrong, mm. and I do, and... Um, it's if people are misgendering someone in a space and then they go, oh, no, it's fine, they're not here, um, that shows a lack of respect that is unacceptable. Yeah, definitely. Um, because, you know, it's about, it's about us being like, no, it does matter and it has to matter all the time and it has to matter in all spaces um, because we need to make sure people's genders are affirmed because it's who they are mm. and it's important to do that. Mm. And I think cisgender people don't realise that importance because they haven't been put in a position where they're constantly misgendered. Yes. And so it's that difference between privilege of living in a world where you can pass and not be called out all the time about your gender identity and always having it happen to you. And being an ally is stepping up and being like, no, it's important that we get this right all the time because mm. it has to be considered respectful and... Like yeah, we need we need to continue being respectful. Yeah, one hundred percent agree. But I guess I w you'd want to make sure that the person that you're being an ally to wants you to yeah. be stepping in on their behalf in that yeah. specific yeah, context. Yeah, that's I think it's important to have this conversation uh, with the person. Mm. Like in my experience, I have a friend that she went to transition, and now. You're, she uses she or her as a pronoun. Mm. So I ask her what she wants me to do if I heard someone misgender her when she's not there. And, and then I act accordingly. So you know, she might be okay with me correct people all the time, or she might not want to, if I do that in some space, or in some context, or in some meeting. So again, come back to respect and acknowledge the person and have this conversation with them and make sure you are being a good ally Mm. and do what they want to yeah, in yeah. order to support them. Mm. Um, if you're a student and you aren't as familiar with how to be a good ally, <laughs> are there any resources at the university? Yeah, definitely. There's, uh, as a Pratt Network, we create a document. It's called uh, Inclusion and 
of transgender and gender diverse employees, and that's mm -hmm. available on the on the website. And basically, it's a very short uh, fact sheets with all definition of difference between gender and sexuality, uh, what uh, queer means, what cisgender, transgender. So that's kind of gives you a little bit of vocabulary to mm. navigate this new world of pronouns and yeah. new gender. But at the same time, gives you good tips on how to bring like non-gender language, you know, day-to-day -day life. For example, if you are in a meeting or in a class, rather than dress people using guys or ladies and gentlemen, maybe you can say folks mm. or students or attendees. So try to move away from the dichotomy male and female, even in your language. Uh, try to use the correct pronouns. Uh, for example, now even on Canvas, you can choose the pronouns. So when whatever you post something or you're online, people can see what pronouns are you use. So there's another way that you can tell people yeah, okay, what, great. what are your pronouns. Uh, and then uh, there's other things that we can, we can also do. As, as a Pride Network, we started doing this event called Out for Lunch. It was the beginning of the year where basically once a month we organize a kind of barbecue lunch uh, in different uh, part of the campus in Campedown. And then, of course, with COVID, we couldn't do anymore. And we create this Out For Now uh, Canvas page. It's a free page. Everyone can uh, access and log in, either if you're students or staff. And basically, in this space, there's a lot of information about uh, community. Uh, there's links to uh, ACON or other organizations, TransHub, all these uh, amazing um, portal and services that are available online. We create events, like we did a couple of makeup tutorials. We had like a queer reading night. Uh, so this, we kind of like create a space where people can connect and learn and understand and make a queer community better place and Sydney Uni better inclusive place. Yeah, awesome. Well, we'll definitely include a little link in the yeah, blurb at the bottom yeah. of this episode, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, our finale is really great um, because it does have a whole resource section guide that you can sort of jump into and have a peruse if you're curious about learning more information about the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really, really cool and I would definitely recommend looking at it. Um, I've also got a little blog that I've been writing on the library's collection. Um, you should suss that out. Um, we've got a lot of really cool um, queer books in our collection and it's a way to connect further to the queer community and also learn a bit more about our history um, in Australia and the world, it's really fascinating to jump into. Um, but, you know, another thing students can do is uh, a beautiful search engine called Google. Um, they can just <laughs> jump right on that and type in what does it mean to be transgender or what does non-binary mean and explore the, the beautiful array of articles and sites and resources that are provided on there. Um, Danielle mentioned TransHub before. That's that's a wonderful website. It's got a whole page with just resources upon resources upon resources that people can explore and look into. Um, and I would definitely recommend looking at all the university documents as well um, because they tend to point you to some really cool stuff. Um, and yeah, it's it's a whole it's a whole field of information out there. Just to wrap up. I would really like to touch on, Sam, the library's gendered terms guidelines that they've put together. Ah, so what Tom is talking about here is gendered terms in the University of Sydney Library created content. 
guidelines. <laughs> so um, basically I was part of a team that worked on some editorial guidelines for historical figures in our collection. Um, so this was led by Mark Ollis and Kim Williams who did fantastic work on it. Um, they basically went through our website and looked at all use of gendered language on there and got rid of all the stuff that was just completely irrelevant. Like, yeah, don't need that, don't need that. Mm. Um, but then when they came across our historical figures, um, like in our archival collections, et cetera, they were like, how do we actually talk about these people? Because at the moment we'll be writing about someone and there'll be gendered language. For example, well, we've got a couple of collections I'll mention, the Lawson collection. So throughout that, um, talking about Lawson, we've used he, him, um, written throughout the, the collection so far. Um, what, we've, what we initially did was... Hold up, let's start again. So when talking about historical figures, um, we initially were going to remove gendered language altogether. Um, so Kim, that's when I got involved in the project. So Kim sent me through a message with Mark and they were like, oh, can you have a look at what we've done so far? Um, so I had a read, read through and um, we also got Lean Reith involved in the project too. They're an academic liaison librarian, fantastic human, um, if you're listening, Lean. <laughs> <laughs> um, and basically what we did was, was we had a look at what Mark and Kim had worked on so far and they had removed all gender language from some of our collections as an example. So one of them was a Lawson collection. So... Initially, um, Lawson had he, him pronouns throughout it, et cetera, um, and they just removed those completely and used they, them instead. Um, another one was um, the Evelyn Nicholson's diary entries. So, um, for example, she, her was used throughout it and also instead of her husband, we changed it to, like, spouse. Um, but throughout conversations with the team, I, I mentioned and Lean also mentioned that, you know, gender is still important to people um, you know, when they're cis as well as when they're non-binary trans. They might not be as aware of it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I was like, gender identity is important um, for everyone and um, it's important that people have their gender affirmed and that their history and their legacy, um, you know, is also affirmed. And so we started getting into this conversation around, well, um, okay, removing gender altogether might not be the right way about it because we want to respect and affirm people's gender. Um, so we developed some um, protocols around that as well. So, you know, if there is um, first-hand documentation of them being like, oh, I'm a dude, mm. or, yeah, I'm a total, I'm a lady on the high seas with my hubby, um, you know, like we can be like, okay, they're primary source documents saying that, you know, that guy's a dude or that person's a woman. Mm. Um, and we can use pronouns that would sort of sit with that. Um, if those kind of primary source materials aren't around, we can ask living relatives um, to see if anyone is still alive and be like, oh, yeah, daddy was a total guy, um, that kind <laughs> of thing. Um, <laughs> in a situation where we can't actually verify what their pronouns might have been or what their gender identity could have been, um, we would use gender-neutral language in that context. Mm -hmm. um, so these guidelines were just uh, sort of um, a frame of reference for other people talking about historical figures to use. Um, and it's about being aware of the language that we're using in our spaces um, and how we're actually talking about each other. Um, it all comes down to language in the end and being aware of language and why it's important to get it right. Yeah, totally. And I understand that 
Sydney Library is one of the leaders in this space at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pretty because, exciting. Yeah, we, we, well, Mark and Kim, really, um, mm. like I said, I kind of piggybacked off their success. No, nah, just get into it. <laughs> <laughs> just put your name on it. I mean, my name is on it. It's great. <laughs> winning, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, um, they realised that there was a, a gap missing in this space and that they couldn't find any um, guidelines about how to talk about people in this space or historical figures and pronouns and gender identity of historical mm. figures. Um, so there was a gap missing and with their brilliant minds, they filled it. So um, yeah, it was really exciting to be a part of this project. It was really exciting to um, help them out with the ways that I could um, mm. and be part of that conversation. Um, yeah, I think we've done a really cool thing in this space and um, being aware of language is significant and important and the more we're aware of the language that we use and how we talk about things, the more we can do it better, if that makes any sense. And I think that's a good message to finish on. Thank yeah. you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us. <laughs> thanks, Tom. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for stopping by. I'd like to thank the Peerpod team once again for bringing it all together. If today's episode has sparked anything for you, we'd love to hear about it. Drop us a line at peerpod.pla at sydney.edu.au. Catch you next time.